2 Timothy 4, verses 1-8, through 8, these are God's words. I charge you therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who will judge the living and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season, convince, rebuke, exhort, with all long suffering and teaching. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. But according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers, and they will turn their ears away from the truth, and be turned aside to fables. But you, be watchful in all things, endure afflictions, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure is at hand. I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith. Finally, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me, give to me on that day, and not to me only, but also to all who have loved his appearing. So far the reading of God's inspired and inerrant word. And so Paul gives Timothy great reason to obey the command in verse 2. Not only is Paul charging him and invoking the name of God and invoking the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. But Paul also reminds him that the Lord Jesus Christ is going to appear and judge. And there's two things here. One is a vow and one is uh, a pressing reality, a coming reality. Um, the charge that he gives in the name of God is uh, similar in invoking God's name, invoking the Lord Jesus' name, to when we make vows, like the kind of vows you make when you profess faith, uh, or the kind of vows that a parent makes when their child is baptized, or the kind of vows that a minister takes when he is being ordained. Uh, a vow is a promise made before God, invoking his name, and the invoking of the name of God is uh, a holy act uh, done uh, in the assembly before God's face, uh, we recognize rightly from the Bible, Westminster 21, that a vow is an occasional part, meaning on particular occasions, uh, of the worship of God. And so there's this holy vow, but even that is not as urgent. It is very urgent, because the name of God has been invoked on it. And may the Lord help us to take our vows more seriously than Ordinarily, vows are taken by many people, and then our flesh would wish to take them. Well, that's very serious, but it's even more serious that when the Lord Jesus appears, he is going to, or that the Lord, first of all, the Lord Jesus will appear, and that when he appears, he will judge the living and the dead. That um, Christian theology, uh, the truth about the Lord Jesus Christ isn't just some abstract thing that li that exists only in the realm of ideas uh, and is uh, is not something that we experience uh, by the time people can visibly see that they are experiencing and interacting with the Lord Jesus Christ and that they actually have been all their lives uh, it will be too late uh, and so Paul is reminding Timothy that even now he is before God and before the Lord Jesus Christ. And that there's coming a day when the Lord Jesus will appear and when the Lord Jesus will judge. That 
Timothy will be glad that he took being before the face of God seriously. Uh, this is the sort of thing that uh, is a cure for uh, lying, cheating, hiding things. Um, we often do them, forget it, do that, forgetting that we are before the face of God, and that uh, and that He before whom we already are exposed and visible, uh, that we will see Him uh, one day, and so it behooves us uh, by faith that takes the word of God um, seriously uh, to act as uh, as those who know that we are before him every bit as much now as we will know that we are before him when he appears. And so the minister labors not only because that's true for himself, but also because that's true for his people. How will it be for them when the Lord Jesus appears? Will they Will they wonder why their minister didn't speak to them more seriously, more urgently, if he knew? So why the minister must labor? In what the minister must labor? Uh, there's uh, uh, one word command here, preach. Uh, you must uh, preach the word. Uh, the preaching of the word here is uh, described Further, by the three verbs, convince, rebuke, and exhort. Uh, convince means to make a hearer fully aware of his sin. Rebuke means to denounce sharply the sin of which he has been made aware. And exhort uh, means to comfort, counsel, admonish, whatever is necessary uh, to help someone turn from their sin. And so the preaching of the word here, the preaching of Christ here, uh, really focuses on being sanctified through faith in Christ, resting in Christ uh, by whom we may turn from sin uh, un, unto God. Uh, no wonder then when he says preach the word, he tells them to be ready in and out of season, in season and out of season. And people will not think that it's uh, uh, it's the season uh, for this kind of preaching, uh, and yet, uh, when the public can, or when people consider such public preaching to be out of season, Timothy must still do it anyway, because with God there's no in season and out of season. That's a human thing. God is the one who called him to preach the word. God is the one before whose face he is. And so, uh, for us, the same thing with every part of righteousness. Yes. There are things that are wise to do uh, at some times. You have to pick them, but the things that God calls you to do, you must remember always that you are before his face so that others' opinions, men's opinions, uh, will not keep you from doing that which uh, which the Lord requires. Well, that's what a minister must do, and so what must we do? Well, we must be willing to have our sin told us, to be made aware of it. We must be willing... Uh, to be uh, wounded, as it were, to have our sin sharply denounced. But we also must look for the help of God, the help of Christ, the help of Spirit, by way of the Word. There is a sort of masochistic sermon hearing in which someone thinks it's a really good sermon if he comes away miserable. I once candidated at a church that was like that. 
and um, just preached. And at the time, I was in John and Isaiah at the the church that I was already serving. And so I just preached the next sermon in John, next sermon in Isaiah. And they both just happened to be wonderfully encouraging passages. But the church that was candidating me thought maybe I hadn't preached the word carefully enough because they didn't feel miserable when it was over. Well, they picked uh, very convicting texts for the next time and felt sufficiently miserable when it was over and uh, and thought that things had gone well then. But there's not just the convincing uh, and the rebuking, there's the exhorting. There's God coming alongside by way of his word through the ministry of the preacher to give you himself and to give you everything from him that is needful. So not only is your righteousness entirely Christ and what Christ had done, but even your sanctification, your righteous standing, entirely Christ and what Christ had done, but the source for your righteous living is the Lord Jesus himself. And so that's what a minister needs to do in preaching, and that's what we need to look for as we hear preaching. So you're not just going and paying attention and processing information. You need to be engaged with your conscience, having things exposed, uh, hating the things that are exposed, getting God's help who loves you and helps you, strengthens you, gladdens you uh, in himself. And so the minister who preaches this way and is seeking to do this work, there are two things that must characterize it at the end of verse 2, with all long-suffering and teaching. So all long-suffering, which means you never get to tell God that you're a dad or a mom or a minister. Haven't I been patient enough with them? It's the Peter, uh, how many times do I have to forgive the question? All long-suffering means you never have exhausted obedience to that command. And then all teaching. Uh, the Lord has uh, ordained to uh, reach the conscience through the mind. And so patiently teaching again, teaching again, teaching again. And it's not like uh, <clears throat> people aren't made out of AI where you feed them information. Uh, you know, they're continuously uh, uh, adapting and assimilating all of the information they've ever gotten. We're still have remaining sin. We still have what we call the noetic, the thought effects of our sin, the effects on our ability to think. From the word noose, which means mind, noetic effects of sin, we need to be instructed a hundred different times, a dozen different ways. No, we must not give up instructing. The Lord continues to be patient. He's not yet returned. Uh, it's not because he's slow. It's because He's patient, he's willing for all of his people to be gathered in. He's long-suffering with us as we grow. And so there needs to be that patience and that teaching. There also needs to be a resolution of people. He says the time will come. He's not talking about one time at the very end of the age. He's talking about something that uh, that Timothy Saw already in Paul's ministry, okay. has seen already in his own ministry, and it's going to come again. You know, lest Timothy think that people not enduring sound doctrine was some quirk that happened once in Ephesus. No, it's something that repeats over and over again. And if the people are refu refusing to endure sound doctrine, then we, 
need to endure and persist, they're not enduring. So here, because they have itching ears, uh, they turn their ears away from the truth to whatever they want to heap up for themselves. Well, the minister should know in advance that it's going to take resolve to overcome uh, their itching ears and their turning away from the truth, turning aside to fables. And so he, uh, he needs to be watchful. You be watchful in all things. Keep your eye on, uh, on what you are supposed to be doing. Endure afflictions. Now, this isn't just general afflictions. The afflictions in verse four, verse 5 are from the people in verse 4. Paul tells Timothy the church is going to afflict her ministers. That in particular, those who are not enduring, refusing to endure sound doctrine, those who want to turn aside to the ideas of men instead of the word of God, will afflict the minister. And so the minister must be resolved ahead of time to endure those afflictions. In fact, he has to do the work of an evangelist. He must remember that there is remaining sin and that there are those in the church who are not even converted, although they profess faith. And those who are converted in the battle against remaining sin, Christ and union with him is the solution for that remaining sin. And so he reminds Timothy that all of the gospel ministry is, well, gospel ministry. He has to do the work of an evangelist. He's going to be a continual gospelizer as one through whom God is bringing people to salvation in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so there's no such thing as a minister who isn't on the front lines. Yes, you go somewhere where the gospel has never been heard. You have to do the work of an evangelist, but you minister in a church that's 200 years old and subscribes to the Westminster Confession. You still have to do the work of an evangelist. And for you, when you are interacting with the Lord, when you are uh, trying to apply the Bible to your life, live by faith in Christ, live out of the fellowship that you have with him and union with him, the Holy Spirit applying his life to you through his word. You are doing the work of an evangelist on yourself. And when we edify one another, when we build one another up and have Christian fellowship, we're going to have to be doing the work of an evangelist. Uh, The gospel is at the center of all of the service and ministry that we have to one another in spiritual things. A wonderful chapter in communion of the saints and the confession which reminds us that uh, we're not just to minister to one another in earthly things, but spiritual. Actually, it assumes spiritual. Spiritual is the first. And well should it be. And then to what end that there would be nothing left. Uh, when he says, for I am already being poured out as a drink offering. A drink offering you just pour out completely. Now, we were happy when we saw that word and sometimes it's translated shred ab- shed abroad or poured out. Uh, in Romans 5, when it was talking about how the, what the Holy Spirit does with the love of God, because God's love is inexhaustible. And you can gush and, and cover, and it'll never run out. But we are not inexhaustible, and Paul is just about to be exhausted. 
uh, just about to run out of the supply of Paul. I uh, had a swimming coach who would be very upset if within five or ten minutes uh, after uh, my event I gave any signs of life. He would take that as an indication that I hadn't left it all in the pool and, to use this language, poured myself out. And Paul is telling Timothy, I am already being poured out as a drink offering. You also need to give all that you are. And uh, as Paul leaves, he describes the life as fighting and racing and faith, which the word faith there, next to the words fighting and racing, are a reminder that there are no resources in us. We can only live the Christian life and do whatever work he's called us to uh, by the resources that are in Jesus. You may be someday in a job or as a dad, as a mom, continuously saying, I can't do this. This is impossible. Well, that's exactly right. It's supposed to be impossible. It can only be done by what's in Christ. That's why he calls it uh, keeping the faith. So he says, I fought the good fight, I finished the race, I've kept the faith, and the crown that he gets is not according to how well he's fought and how well he's run and what he's completed by faith. The crown that he gets is actually according to the righteousness of Jesus. And so what's laid up for him is not some pension, some retirement fund, or some reward that is according to his service, what's laid up for him is a reward that is according to Christ, the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to him. But Timothy, he lets Timothy know that this isn't just something for people like Paul. This is actually for every single Christian who has taken into a, taken into account what Paul reminded him of in verse 1, that the Lord Jesus is going to appear, and he's going to appear as a judge. But for us who love him, he's going to appear as our joy. He's going to appear as our inheritance. He is going to appear as our righteousness. He's going to appear as our reward. And we live like those who know we're before him. We live like those, uh, like we will wish we had lived when he does appear. And we are those who love his appearing. And those who do so not to perfection, but rather by faith in Christ. They will all receive the same crown that Paul received. It's pretty amazing to think that when we're done with our work in this life, lived by faith in Christ, had a fellowship with him, with him, him applying the resources of who he is to us by his spirit, that the same crown that Paul was thinking about as he, in his chains, he's writing to Timothy, uh, this letter, or when he's thinking about the crown that's laid up for him, and he says, well, it's not laid up for me only, but to all, all who have loved his appearing. Same crown for us, praise God. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we pray that you would help us to live by the same faith before Christ, before you. We thank you for your word, by which you do the necessary work in us, that we may live this way, that we might run this way, that we might fight this way. And we pray, Lord, that you would give us also to live by the gospel, minister to others, and to be poured out. Stir our hearts up towards the Lord Jesus, cause the currently unseen reality to be so real to us that we would be those who can be described as loving his appearing. Even so, come quickly, Lord Jesus, and teach us, teach our hearts by your Spirit to desire your coming more and more. For we ask it in your name.
Amen.